Moses in the CIA? I'm Moses, Ken Mosesian. And like my ancestor, I'm all about training individuals, teams, and companies how to lead. Now, I've joined forces with the CIA. I'm Dan Crum, known as the CIA. And I can help you win your best deal every time through my sales training, the CIA method. Join us as we talk about topics of life and business from two unique perspectives. Hello, Ken. How are you this evening? Is it evening? It's a little hard to tell from outside. It's evening, Dan, and I'm doing great. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome. So, Ken, you were previously up in the air, and that is what we're talking about tonight. What is this all about? Up in the air, Dan, is all about the fact that we are beginning to be able to re-engage travel. And that means we're able to be together with other people in person, not just on video. And it also means that we're able to go to new places. And for me, that's just essential to the work that I do, not just from a business perspective and actually being able to see a client in person, but it's essential because it always opens my eyes to something new. It gives me a new lens to see things through. It gives me a new perspective through which to observe things. And because of that, it makes me, I think, a better, more well-rounded person and consequently, a better consultant. That is what Up in the Air is all about. I can vouch. You seem to be a much better individual when you travel. It's unbelievable. It's like two different Kens, the one that traveled and the one that didn't. Um, my first experience in 2021, in case you're listening to this, in the distant future, and you're like, I wonder what year these guys are talking about and why travel seems to be a thing. Are they coming off of like the first air travel ever? Was this recorded in the early 1900s? When was this recorded? No, this is 2021 and we're coming off a pandemic. And my first experience being up in the air traveling on a plane was to see Ken. I made the trip out to Phoenix to see Ken. I was traveling out to Phoenix and I got to see Ken. Isn't that great? And if you look back, you'll see that we recorded a live, a live session inside of Ken's home studio. Very high end. I don't want to say any numbers, but he might have spent $10 million in his home studio. But that was my first experience in 2021 being up in the air. Ken, tell us about when this all started for you, when planes were first invented. Go back to there. Well, Given that I'm best friends or was best friends with the Wright brothers, I simply outlived them. Uh, we had a great time developing aviation together. Unfortunately, I'm never credited in any of the books, which is sad. But when it all started for me uh, was when I was a kid. I just fell in love with aviation around five or six years old. And I remember asking if I could get a subscription to Flying Magazine. And I had a subscription to Flying Magazine all the way through 21 years old when I was still at home, went to college in my hometown and I had a subscription to Flying Magazine. I read it cover to cover every single month. I got my private pilot's license at 18 years old and uh, my dad bought uh, a plane, uh, a, a single engine uh, Piper, uh, four passenger 
flew it out from Vero Beach in Florida where the factory was. And my love for aviation has just blown up since then even more. And so anytime I can get on a plane, anytime I can go to an airport, anytime I can just go near a runway and park and watch planes take off and land and smell burning jet A, I am a happy boy. And the thing that was so earth shattering for me in travel was my first trip alone was between my junior and senior year in high school. I flew to Switzerland on a work experience program for about three, four months, and it opened my eyes to a whole different world. It just completely shifted things. This was at a time, Dan, when there were no cell phones. <laughs> there, there was no way to communicate back home except writing a letter to your parents or to your sister, to your friends. That was the only way to do it. And on a couple special occasions, I would go down to, I think it was at the post office where you could set up a long distance call, be back at a certain time, and then place a long distance call. I think I did it once during that entire trip. But other than that, when you left, you were in a different world. And there was something about being in a different world that just opened my eyes to different cultures around me and different ways of doing things. And so when I came back, I brought that perspective with me. And that really set me up for the sense of being a citizen of the world. Speaking of the Wright brothers and a different world, you may or may not have heard they brought a piece of the Wright brothers plane onto the Mars rover and the little drone flew up the first air travel in another world on Mars contained a piece of the Wright brothers plane. I don't know if you knew that, but that's a really cool fact. And when you said your first plane was a Piper, you made me think of a good show, Orange is the New Black, because the main character's name is Piper. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. But no, I, I actually think this is a really genius idea to talk about being up in the air. Um, it, what's really is cool for me is if I get to fly and uh, let's say I sit next to somebody and they tell me it's their first time ever flying. Like how incredibly amazing. It still baffles like your mind. It's probably no different than the baffling of like electricity or the internet, but it baffles your mind to think this ginormous machine First can get off the ground, but not just get off the ground, can go up to thousands, tens of thousands of feet into the air and then maintain speeds in hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour. That's unbelievable. That's just still, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, credit due to the Wright brothers for figuring that out. That's incredible. Um, but no, I think that if I have an opportunity to go somewhere, like I just went to Florida uh, for our spring break trip for our family. Um, I live in Virginia. So many people would say, oh, did you drive? And I'll say, no, because I take every opportunity to fly because I love, I, I can't get over the convenience of being able to fly somewhere in literally a couple hours versus spending, let's say in this example, 12 hours in the car or two hours in a flight, an hour and a half in a flight. I was like, I'll choose the flight. I love the convenience of air travel. I love to watch my kids who have been on many flights at this point to be able to still be amazed as I am, but I take it for granted to be able to look out and take video out of their window and just be marveling at like first the earth below or the clouds that we're up in or any of this stuff. I think it's just an incredible thing to be able to fly at all. And I think it's really cool, Ken, that you are a pilot because 
I'm still looking for somebody to pilot my private jet. And I'm hoping one day when you retire, you'll take on that role. But we'll see. First, uh, I'd be honored to fly your private jet. I'll even help you upgrade to the next level. So don't worry about that. Uh, I actually enjoyed talking with people on the plane as well. And the thing that always fascinates me is just the, the breadth and depth of humanity that you might sit next to, somebody completely different from you. And I think, Dan, it goes back to the whole notion of like the perspective, right? Yeah, it's great to fly to a different state and, and see just simple things like road signs might be different, traffic signals might be different, you know, restaurants or common foods are different. But it's the getting there that's also part of that experience. What's it like to sit next to somebody else who might be from another country who's traveling to a different state? What's it like, like you said, to sit next to somebody who's never traveled before? I think back to my grandmother. She was born in the, the um, late 1800s. And um, years and years ago, we took her on her first jet trip ever. And um, everyone in the cabin was asleep and she was just sitting there staring out the window. And I leaned over to her and I said, we're 35,000 feet in the air and we're traveling at 560 miles an hour. This was a woman who grew up like literally riding a horse. There were no cars and she just shook her head. And a few hours later, we're landing across the country. And, and she, she just marveled at what it was like to step into this plane and then step out. It was almost for her, it was almost like time travel. It was almost like stepping in something and snapping your finger and being there. And the, just her ability to be amazed at that technology is something that inspires me to this day. Like, I never want to lose that ability for amazement at whatever it is. But particularly when it comes to flying, there is something extraordinary about what it takes, lift, drag, thrust, gravity, uh, all those things working together in perfect harmony to get you up in the air. So I don't know if you heard this, but Elon Musk at least has a theory. I'm sure this is possible, but probably uh, well down the road and also very expensive. But what he would do is take people into, I guess, above gravity, like into orbit. And then you could cut across the world very quickly. So you could get from like here to China, let's say in a couple hours versus whatever a day, right? Um, I don't totally understand it, but generally understand it. Once we kind of get into orbit and get above gravity, we can kind of come back down into orbit and we cut off all that distance or whatever. In any case, I thought that was really cool. And I bet you that's the same kind of feeling to watch that little, whatever you call it, commercial or infomercial or, or information that they put together for that is probably very similar to when people first heard about the first flight, right? They're probably calling BS on that. Like, no, birds fly. Humans can't fly. What are you talking about? We can't get a machine into the air, right? Like how incredible that was. I love these videos of, um, you can look them up and find them on YouTube of, they'll find like a location, let's say New York City or Paris, and they'll show like, uh, the early 1900s, I think, like the first time they had video. So for people, you'll see them like go by and look at this thing because they probably didn't know what this machine was that's taking video, which is incredible in and of itself to think we can even, those things, fat, like I don't even understand that. Like pictures, kind of get, wow, moving pictures? Wow, I'm really behind. Like my ability to understand technology is probably 
300 years ago. I, I could get that. Anything in the last 300 years is like, no, it's above my level. And I could go on so many tangents, but it makes me think of one other thing. There's a lot of theories that if you go back to like Egyptian pyramids or other areas of the world where they have these like incredible, huge stone structures, like walls or buildings, stuff like this. And the, the, the size of the stones are sometimes as big as houses and they're cut to like perfect geometric shapes and they fit in perfectly in these huge walls or these big towers or buildings or pyramids and things like that, that they think that the development of either technology or engineering understanding of humans was at one level. And then let's say an event like a meteor hits and there's the cataclysmic event causes, you know, a large portion of the population to go away. Well, it's kind of how I feel is if like that happened and they're like, Hey, you know how the internet works, right? Figure it out. Uh, I don't think I could do it. I know I couldn't do it. But what you might be able to do, Ken, is help us figure out how to reinvent a plane once everyone goes, yeah, there are no more planes, but we can fly, right? Ken, figure this out. Help us reinvent a plane. I love it. And again, I'm on it. <laughs> Although my preference would be just to pilot your private jet. And I think we're going to be getting a Falcon 8X. That's that's my thought. Look it up. Uh, so I... I love what you said about like that, the, those moments in technology when things just develop, right? And I, and I was thinking back to a trip that we had made with my dad back in 2019, um, a kinder and gentler time when we could fly and not wear masks and not worry about things uh, nearly as much. We were in the south of France at this Roman aqueduct that uh, Julius Caesar had constructed. And it's called Pont du Gard, and it has the largest arch that the Romans ever built. There's several of them, and they span something like 86 feet um, without any kind of support structure. The thing that was fascinating to me, there is no mortar in there. The bricks are all stacked, and then there is a keystone that's put in, and just using gravity, and the force uh, of the weight of the bridge or of the aqueduct coming down into the ground has literally kept it there for over 2,000 years. And, and I wonder, you know, this, this, this whole notion of like wonderment and, and amazement uh, and being able to be astonished at something. 2,000 years later, I look at that and I'm still astonished. And that's with the advancement of technology that we have with all the modeling that you can do um, with computerization, they had nothing. They literally had nothing. They had like drawings that they made and obviously it worked and it worked brilliantly. And I, I wonder and I hope that future generations way down the road will look back at this and think, my God, those humans hardly had anything at their disposal at that time and they still manage to like create an airplane, you know, as they vanish from point to point to point in a nanosecond. And so I, I think what, what we take for granted today will be astonishing to future generations, given the level of technology that we have now compared to what the future might hold. Just like when we look back, I'm astonished that aqueducts and cathedrals uh, got built and are still standing without any kind of assistance. And I think, Dan, to circle back to where we started, 
this whole thing for me is about seeing life through another lens. And whether it's the lens of appreciating technology and the ability to get in a plane, and like you said, this really heavy machine goes up in the air, flies really fast and takes you to where you want, uh, or whether it's the experience on board and meeting other people, or whether it's the actual destination and being exposed to a new culture. Travel in general, I think is the greatest thing that anybody can do to enrich their mind and their life, their business. Probably 20 years ago, I first heard about virtual reality and I was excited. I'm, I'm big into technology as far as like wanting to utilize it. And I thought, how cool will that be? I heard somebody say, you'll be able to have the experience of going anywhere in the world, but you don't even have to go anywhere. Literally just put on your virtual reality goggles or whatever, and you can look around and it's if you're wherever, just pick a spot, right? And I can remember maybe 10 years ago being in Disney World with my family and standing in those lines for so long and thinking, gosh, I can't wait till we could visit this virtually and not have to stand in the lines, but just sit in a seat and feel like we're on the roller coaster or go to the attraction without doing it. But with all that said, two years ago, 2019, I went to the Masters at Augusta National, which is a very famous golf course. And for those of you who love golf, totally can appreciate what I'm saying. Uh, everybody told me this. Anybody who had been there, anything you look up online, everybody said the same thing. You'll be amazed at the elevation. So with everybody warning me, the first thought I had was, I cannot believe the hills here. This is unbelievable because on TV, and I know it's not virtual reality, you just can't fathom it. It seems much flatter, right? It's not 3D, it's 2D, but it just seems like, no, I've seen this hole for my whole life. And then you go there and you realize this drops down 50 feet here, raises up 100 feet here. It's, it's the most hilly golf course I think they play on tour. But I could not appreciate that without going. So I could not agree with you more, Ken. I would say to people, it's not enough to watch a video on YouTube or if we ever get to this amazing space, which I'm sure we will, where you could visit it virtually, travel, travel, travel. We're not travel agents. We have nothing to gain here by telling you this. This is not a commercial or an infomercial. But I will say this old adage of if you had a certain amount of money and you could spend it on something, don't buy something materialistic because after that wears off, you kind of put it away. But the memories and the experience you gain from traveling will last with you forever. And as much as I'm a proponent of take some pictures and document what you do, also put your phone down and experience it in real life without through the lens where you're only seeing it this big. See the whole thing. That's the true virtual reality that you can really experience with travel. I couldn't have said it better. And that last piece is right on 100%. Take a couple pictures, put your phone away, experience it, be there, meet people, look up, look down, look around. If you're only looking for the next shot that you can frame up for Instagram, you've defeated the purpose of going. Be there, live, enjoy the food. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy the people that you're with. You'll remember that forever. That's, that's the real thing. Be a collector of experience, not of things. Thank you for listening. To learn more, check out MosesInTheCIA.com. To learn more about Ken Mosesian, check out Mosesian.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, check out DanCrum.com.